Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Now, that's not word for word up there because I memorized it in the NIV. This is the NLT. Now, the New Living Translation is a great translation. New Living Translation it is in contemporary English, and it is a very easily understood version. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. This verse is written in the context of the faith chapter, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, in which we have many uh, examples of men and women who lived with great faith in God. And specifically, it is in the context of Enoch's life. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Uh, his life was pleasing to God because of his faith. And without faith, you cannot live a life pleasing to God. For anyone who wants to be pleasing to God must have faith, must believe that he exists and rewards those who diligently seek him. You know, I heard a fellow say recently that one of the great tragedies of life is that as we grow older, we lose our sense of mystery. I thought long and hard on that statement this week because I think it is so very true. The older that we get, we feel like we have everything figured out. Uh, we feel like what we, we know what is coming next and next and next. We know what today holds. We know what tomorrow holds. And we know what the next day holds, Right. And because of this sense of familiarity, we lose our, our, our sense of mystery and expectation. And there are some unfortunate things which come with that. We, we seemingly have a sense of security in the mundane and in the, the habitual things of our life and in the, the things that we think we have figured out because of the monotony of life. But Unfortunately, this routine has negative effects on us in that it leads the believer to a place of complacency, complacency towards sin and an absence of a life lived by faith. Because our life is so routine, we grow to accept that it just simply is what it is. We lose our sense of mystery and our expectation of something supernatural and unusual. And so we tend to believe we just are who we are. And the sins that we struggle with are just the sins that we're going to struggle with. And we cease to really operate in faith, to believe and trust in God for something beyond what we already have. And our life just becomes ho-hum. And what happens is we become dead inside in a sense. We may be saved and we may have eternal life in that sense, but we really have become, as some have said, the frozen chosen. We're saved, we're believers in Christ, but we live so rarely by faith in Christ for the day-to-day, moment-by-moments of life with expectation of anything that we might not provide for ourselves, that we, we just have become cold. And, and that coldness affects us individually. It affects us in our family. It affects us in our church. And Jesus never meant for us to grow complacent. He never meant for us to be stationary in life. He never meant for us to be cold in the sense that we're talking about here. He meant for us to live a life uh, beyond all of these things. He never meant for us to live a life of self-sufficiency without risk. Christ meant for us to have a life of adventure. God always meant for His people to live a life of adventure, to believe His Word, to trust in Him, to join Him in an extraordinary work that would be the talk on our lips and everyone else's for eternity. See, the question this morning I want to begin with is, are you living a life worthy 
of heavenly gossip, not gossip in the sinful sense. But will people talk about your life in eternity? Are you living a, a life of faith, belief, and trust in God that, that folks will talk about 10,000 years from now? There'll be things to look back on and things to talk about, to discuss about how God used you so greatly and how you cooperated with something God was doing in your time, in your day, in your world where you live. Because that's the life God intends for us to have. God wants us to have a, a life of faith, to believe and trust in Him, to follow Him in something that we cannot do ourselves, to be a part of something that is so big that, that He necessarily receives the glory for that. But in order for us to live that kind of life, we need what the old-timers called revival, don't we? Most of us do. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, this morning we would say we need to be revived. What does that word revival mean? Revival, when revival happens, a people become concerned with God again. They become interested in God again in a way that they have not been before. And they become interested in the things of God, the things which are important to His heart. You see, when you're cold and you're frozen and you, you're in a, a life that's, that could best be described as living in the rut and you're not really living in a life of faith, you, you, you just aren't really concerned as much about God as you are just about what you know and can see around you. And you're not really concerned as much about the things of God and what God's concerned with because you're more focused upon the mundane, habitual, everyday affairs of life. See, the old-timers knew that we need revival. And we ourselves know we need revival. Many of us in this room know we need revival individually, personally. We know that we need revival in our church. And we know that we need revival in our land. We know that this world is in desperate need of revival. I want to start today, and I just want to tell you of a little story about revival as we kick this off, too. And it's going to take me just a minute to tell you this story, but I think you'll find it interesting. It's a true story. You see, revival really is a fulfillment of this verse that, that we, we quoted just a moment ago. We have faith in God. We believe and trust in Him. And we seek after Him. And when we seek after God with faith, He rewards us. He rewards us with Himself. He gives us Himself. And we become excited about Him, and we become excited about the things that He's concerned with, and we begin to participate in His power, in His life, and in what He's doing around us. And it's a wonderful, exciting kind of adventure, and your life has great meaning beyond anything you can imagine. And you participate in the life of the glory of Christ, and that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. We want that, don't we? And I want to tell you a little story about two ladies who actually experienced that. You see, back in 1949, post-war Europe was still reeling from the effects of what that war had meant for the people in the land of Europe. Germany had been defeated, but the lands which had won the war were devastated. They had been bombed. They had been invaded. They had been ravaged. People had been killed by the millions. Families had been destroyed completely in some cases and broken severely in others. And people were very concerned about rebuilding their life, their homes, their communities. And surprisingly, during this time, most had just completely walked away from the church as they focused upon themselves. And such was the case of a little island off the coast of Scotland called the Hebrides. And in 1949, in the Hebrides, this small island which had known periods of revival in its history, there was not a single young person who attended church. 
Young people had just completely abandoned the church altogether. And church attendance was very much down. And there were two little old ladies. One of them, by the name of Peggy Smith, was 84 years old and blind. And her sister, Christine, just a few years younger, suffered from severe arthritis. They were homebound. But they knew of the situation in their land, and they knew of the situation in the church in their land. And they were prayer warriors. And they were burdened to see a revival come to their land. They wanted to see the people in their community come back to God, those who had walked away and were living backslidden. And the people who did not know Christ, they wanted them to know Christ. And they wanted their community and their towns and their land to, to walk in the power of God and experience God. So they began to pray for this. They began to seek God for this. And they began not just pray for it, but pray for it in faith, believing that God wanted to answer their prayers. And when you pray for revival, you can know that it is the heart of God to bring revival. God desires that men and women and children would know Him, love Him, be devoted to Him, follow Him, and walk with Him. We know that's God's will. And 1 John 5 tells us anytime we pray something which is God's will, we know we can have that which we pray. But James chapter 1 also says that if you pray double-minded, that is, if you make these prayers without faith behind them, you're never going to receive anything that you ask. But these were prayer warriors, Peggy Smith and her sister Christine. So they prayed in great faith, believing God for the answer. And as they prayed, one of them received a vision. You say, well, this is a strange story, but it's a true story. I don't know, remember if it was a dream or a vision of some kind, but she had seen a man come to preach by the name of Duncan Campbell in this, in this vision. And it was a vision. And she said, I believe that it is God's will for Duncan Campbell to come and have a revival meeting here in our church. And she went to her pastor. And when she went to her pastor and told him the same, the pastor said, my wife feels the same thing. This must be from God. So at the mouth of these two witnesses, they invited Duncan Campbell to come. Now, Duncan Campbell, some of you may have heard of. Most of you probably have not. He was an evangelist during the day. And they went to Duncan Campbell and they asked him, would you come and preach a revival? And they gave him the date. Duncan's reply to this was, I apologize. I'm sorry, but I have a previous engagement and I cannot come. When word came back to Peggy and Christine that he would not come, they responded to, the, to him with this. I won't accept that. The little old lady began to pray, and she said, He will come. God will make him come. He will come. And she began to pray. And she said to her pastor, Print the invitations and put them on the roads. Now, in that day, they didn't have the Internet. So the signpost on the road was a great way to, to get your meeting and the information about your meeting out to the people. And so she told him, she said, You print the invitations and you put them out on the road. I do not accept this. I believe this to be God's will. I believe this is a word from God. I am praying for this, and I'm praying that God is going to get a hold of him and bring Duncan Campbell to our church on the day that he was meant to come. So they began to pray. Now, Duncan Campbell had questioned his decision of whether or not to go to the Hebrides. Prior to receiving the letter from 
the church. Campbell's granddaughter had asked him why God doesn't work in the same way as he preaches that he has done in the past. And this had bothered him. And Duncan had gone to his knees before God with a willingness to go anywhere that he was calling him to go. But Duncan went on to his prior commitment. That surprises some of you, doesn't it? He went on to the Keswick meeting. Now, the Keswick meeting in England, Keswick Convention, was the center place. It was like a, uh, the place where Christians went. It was a, just a spirit-filled, incredible place to be every year. It was a high point. And he was meant to speak. And he was sitting on the podium and he was getting ready to come up. He was the next speaker up. And God got a hold of Duncan Campbell so much to the point that he leaned over to the moderator and said, I apologize, you will have to excuse me. I have a prior engagement that God has for me. And he got up and left right before he was supposed to speak. And he got on a little boat and he went out to the Hebrides. And when he arrived there on the shore, there was a mailman waiting for him and said, We have been expecting you. You have just enough time to have high tea at four before, or high tea before the service at four. He said, What service? I just came here to talk to the church about planning a service. What service? So he went and had tea. And he came back and he preached a service that they had pre prepared for him, planned for him. Not much happened, except for one man. He stood up at the end of the service, and he looked up, and he said, God is up there, and he wants to come down. And that was the end of it. And he got up, Duncan Campbell, and walked to the back at the door, as pastors generally did in that day, to shake hands as people walked out. When he got back there, he looked out the door, and out on the grass outside of the church, there were just countless young people coming toward the church. And he looked out and thought, where in the world did all these people come from? But here's what happened. The Spirit of God got all over the bar down the street. And everyone left the bar and came to the church. And over in another part of town at a dance they were having, there are all kinds of young people there, and the Spirit of God got all over the people there, and they left and came to the church. Now, as the story goes, there were very few people, and I don't know who they were, who left after that 4 o'clock meeting. Everybody else stayed, and these people came in, and they began to have church, and they began to, to listen to Duncan Campbell preach, and they began to pray and had a prayer meeting, and it went on until 4 o'clock in the morning. And people all over the auditorium got saved, and people came back and rededicated their hearts to Christ. And the entire town and island of the Hebrides was changed, and the effects of that revival went on for 30 years as that little island was blessed. And it's known as the Revival of the Hebrides. Go look it up on the internet from 1949. True story of what God can do through a people who have faith. Through a people who seek Him. A reward that the Lord wants to give. Do you want that for your life? Do you want to live that way? The way Peggy Smith and the way Christine Smith lived their lives. Do you want to live that way or do you want to go on living the way that you've lived every day for the last however many years? 
Do you want to know that tomorrow morning is Monday and you're going to get up and have the same cup of coffee you have every Monday? You're going to have the same routine and take your shower at the same time and you're going to go to the same job and you're going to do the same thing and nothing unusual is going to happen. You're going to go home to the same home and you're going to have the same dinner that you have every third Monday night and you're going to go to bed at the same time so you can get up Tuesday and do it all again. No expectation of anything interrupting your routine. Which would you rather have? What do we want to have here at Harwood Terrace Baptist Church? Do we want to have the same service every Sunday? Do we want to do the same things every week with the same set of expectations every week? Do we want to walk in here and know that we're going to sing these songs and this number of songs and pray at this time and listen to a sermon, have an invitation and leave, and we're going to do it next week and the next time and the next time and the next time we come together? Is that the kind of life do we want or do we want to live a life of expectation as these two little old ladies did as they bowed their knees before a living God who was capable of doing anything and did just that? Now, I'm going to guess that most of us want the latter. Most of us want the latter. Most of us want a life lived by faith and great expectations of God doing unusual things and making our life an exciting adventure in Him. But if you want that kind of life, it's going to cost you. If you want that kind of living, it is going to cost you something. And the rest of this sermon, I'm just going to give you a very simple two-step process that you might enjoy that kind of life. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are, and it doesn't matter how physically capable you are or not. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. These were two little old ladies, one blind and one crippled with arthritis, both homebound, couldn't even go to the church. And they were praying for revival, and God brought heaven down to earth through their prayers and their faith in Him. So before you give yourself an excuse that you're too old, too set in your ways, or you're too whatever... You need to understand this is an invitation to each and every one of us in this room. Each and every one of us have the opportunity. And it's going to be up to you whether or not you choose to follow Christ in faith for a different kind of life or you choose to stay where you are. The first step to revival is to believe, trust, and seek God. Now that may seem pretty basic, but I want to challenge you with something this morning. Do you actually have faith in God? Because faith is belief plus trust, which equals a changed life. Do you know that? It's believing that is something is true and entrusting your life to that truth and seeing a change because of that. But I want to I challenge you with this. I believe that there are a great many Christians, perhaps even most Christians today who sit in the church in the United States of America, who really and truly, if push came to shove and they had to really confess and admit to what they really, really think, they are hoping in God much more than they are having faith in God. Nothing wrong with hope, but hope comes through and by faith, not vice versa. Listen, Christianity is supposed to be lived by faith. See, hope doesn't save. Faith does. Hope doesn't produce a new life. Faith does. We're never called to live by hope, but we're commanded to live by faith. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone comes to Him must believe He exists, not hope He exists, but actually believe that He exists. So my question to you this morning is, is, do you believe He exists? That seems like a very simple thing that the writer of Hebrews wrote to a church of people who were supposedly already in the faith. But he held up the, the man of Enoch, and he said, this man had such a relationship with God because of his faith in God, so much so that that he was walking one day and Genesis says God just took him on home. I had a professor 
Dr. Roy Fish one time put it this way. He says, I have this vision of what happened that day. This was Roy Fish talking. He said, that, that Enoch and God were just walking along one day, talking as they normally did. Enoch was just lifting up his prayers, talking, enjoying his fellowship with God. And they had gone out for quite some ways. And God said, you know what? You're just closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home today? Why don't you just come on up to my house today? And that's what happened. Boom, he was gone. He was pleasing to God because of his faith, not his hope. Hope is a good thing. Nothing wrong with hope. I'm not trying to rob you of hope this morning. Hope is the expectation of good things. And because of our faith in God, we should expect great things. Absolutely so. But we've got to get first things first. Hope is produced by faith. Faith comes first. Are you hoping this is all true? Is this where you hedge your bets? Is this where you're just pushing everything in the middle of the table, as they say, and you're just saying, this is the best thing I see, the best option I have, and the thing I, 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 I hope is more true than any other option that I might find out there? I'm, just, I'm, I'm really hoping. I kind of think it's true. I, I believe it's true, kind of, but I'm really just hoping really hard that it's true. And so I'm just, I'm just going to go all in and be a Christian, hoping that at the end I will open my eyes and go to heaven someday. Or do you actually believe. Like Duncan Grant Campbell's granddaughter, we ask why God doesn't move today like he did in the past, all the while not seeing the simple answer. We do not have the faith to seek him. We do not have the faith to seek him. We simply hope he might move rather than believing and trusting that he intends to do so. I asked my grandfather when I was a child, why doesn't God do today what he did in the scriptures? And he said, people don't have the faith they did when they walked on the earth in the scriptures. And I think there are people who do. And when those people do that, when those people are among us, we see things happen like we saw in the Hebrides. We see God move in great ways. And scripture says that God is looking on the earth, looking to and fro. He's looking up on the earth for those who would, would have faith and trust him. Those who would fully depend upon Him. See, we want these things and we know we need these things and we know we're supposed to have these things and we know we're supposed to live a life by faith and we're hungry for that. We're hungry for that. We're hungry for something beyond this monotonous, just day-to-day just, just -day kind of same, 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 everyday existence. We, we know we're meant for so much more. We're children of the King. We are, we are heirs of the kingdom. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are an empowered people. And we know as the kingdom of Christ, the body of Christ on earth, that we're meant to be a part of and be doing so much more. And so many folks are sitting in the pew bored today. And so many folks are sitting at home because they're bored with church. Listen, this should be the least boring place on the earth because every day you come here, every Sunday you show up, you should show up wondering what's going to happen today. What will God do today? What has he got for us today? How do we know we need revival? Because we know what to expect every Sunday. And we know what to expect every day. Of our life. Gabriel told Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Yet we live our lives as though God's power and ability are things of the past, something to read about and never experience. But Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. If you want revival in your life, you got to have faith. And if you don't have faith, you need to do what the man did who brought his son to Jesus to be healed. 
Mark chapter 9 is one of my favorite stories about a man who brought his son to Jesus to be healed. And he had already brought his boy to the disciples. They had prayed nothing happened. And he brought the boy to Jesus and said, if you can do anything for my boy, please do so. And Jesus says, if I can do anything. Now, I mean, you got to just, I mean, you just want to be there at that moment, don't you? You just want to be a person in the crowd. Don't want to be that guy at that moment, but you just want to be in the crowd. Jesus says, if I can do anything. And the man responds to Jesus with one of the most honest statements I all of Scripture and one that I have uttered on my own lips in prayer so many times. And if you have not, you should. He goes to Jesus and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, if we're being honest with one another, many of us, we believe, but we have times we struggle to believe. See, there's a whole other group of people in this room where it's not just hope for you, it's actual faith for you, but yet you still walk when that crisis of faith moment comes with the challenge of whether or not you're going to follow through. And we have to cry out to God, Lord, I believe. And I know I'm supposed to walk by faith. Help me in my unbelief to believe. Because I want to believe. If you want a life in Christ from revival, then first you've got to have faith. And if you're struggling to have faith, you need to pray and ask God, Lord, help me to have faith. The second step to revival is to line up our life with God. If you've been living a faithless kind of life, you must turn and change direction. That is, repent. And if you have unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, you've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to turn away from that sin. Sin is missing the mark of God's standard, and God's standard is perfection. Did you know that? God's standard is perfection. If you comfort yourself thinking you're just doing the best you can and God is happy with you because you're doing your very best, you need to understand God's standard is perfection. God's standard is perfection. God's standard is always perfection. So you cannot... Continue in your sin. You cannot have pet sins. You cannot tolerate sin in your life. And you're saying, well, nobody's perfect. No, nobody is. But we all have a desire to be perfect if we know Christ. And if we know Christ, we're going to pursue perfection because Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. So we're going to confess our sin when we sin. We're going to admit it. We're going to ask the Lord for forgiveness and believe in our heart that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're going to repent of our sins. That is means that word repent, turn away from our sin and begin to walk in a new direction. We're not going to think about it. We're not going to ponder it. We're not going to put ourselves in a situation to do it again. We're not going to participate in it. We're going to die to sin. And let me tell you something here this morning. You will die to one of two things always. You will either die to sin or die to the power of Christ at work within you. Both are operating on you right now. The power of Christ is at work within you, and the power of sin is at work upon you. And you will die to one or the other. You will die to sin, or you will die to the power of Christ at work on you and embrace your sin. To die to something means that you are accounting yourself dead to it and has no effect upon you any longer. If you want revival in your life, you've got to get serious about sin. One of the things that happened in the Hebrides, and it happens in every single revival you ever read about, is that people got serious, they get serious about their sin problems, and they confess those sins. They admit them. They go to God and say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live your way. I want to live by your standards. I want a relationship with you that is unhindered by my sin. And so I'm admitting it. To confess your sins means to be in agreement with. God, I am in agreement with you that what you say is sin is sin. I admit that. I don't want that anymore. I ask your forgiveness of it. I turn away from it, and I turn my face to you. I want you, Lord. I want your way, 
of doing things. I want to do it your way and experience your blessing. Have you ever curious the benefits of obedience versus disobedience to God? Open up your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel there, and he is giving them the benefits of the covenant. If you will obey God and if you will follow God, these things will happen. Now, these are tremendous blessings that God is speaking to a nation who will choose to follow him. But some of those blessings that God promises those people, he says, your towns, your fields, your children, your crops, your herds of animals, your bread baskets, whatever you do will be blessed. Blessing comes in obedience. In faithful obedience to God, blessing comes. It may seem like the hard road in the short run, but in the long run, it always reaps a harvest. It reaps a blessing. There may be persecution. There may be trials. There may be cost, yes. But in the long run, there is blessing in being obedient to Christ and following His way of doing things. You want the very best life you can have? That life is a life following Christ. It may be a life of persecution. Jesus said in this life we'll have tribulation. But he said, take heart, I overcome the world. And everything's going to be good. It's going to work out. You're going to be blessed. There's going to be benefit. The true way of salvation and eternal good quality life happens when you are knowing me and following me. So there is a great blessing which comes from obedience. There are a great many people who wreck their life with sin, thinking that it is the, the best way to happiness. And Christ says all the time, the only way to happiness is obedience to him. You got to get serious with your sin problem. You got to admit that you have sin. First John tells us if we think we have no sin or say we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. We all have sin that we need to deal with. And we need to confess, admit, and be in agreement with God over what sin is and we need to turn our backs to it and turn our face to God and follow him. Revival comes to those who have faith to seek after God, turn away from their sin, and seek Him. You know, we are all ambassadors of Christ. And as an ambassador, we operate in the full power and authority of the one who sent us. Sin does not have our number. Christ has us. And we do not have to give in to sin or think that we have no power over sin because Christ in us has overcome the world. And we in Christ can overcome any sin, any sin that is in our life. Now, I want to close today. This is a sermon about taking the next step, taking the next step in your relationship with Christ to live a life of faith in Him. And the question this morning, you know, is a simple one. Are you willing to take that step? You know, two weeks ago we talked about our marriage and taking the next step in our marriage and, and, and loving our spouse the way Christ called us to in Ephesians 5. Last week we talked about taking the next step with our kids and loving our kids enough to discipline them and to guide them and to help them and to honor and love our parents as Christ intends for us to do. And we talked about those family, family relationships and taking the next step in those relationships. This week we were talking about how do you take the next step in your walk with God because here is the, the dirty little secret is that most people sitting in the pews or sitting at home today who know Christ are bored. They're bored. And they don't know how to really live in Christ. And they do what they do more out of a sense of obligation than out of a sense of passion. 
It's because their life lacks faith and is filled with sin and they need revival. And the question this morning is, do you want to take that next step so you don't have to live that way anymore? I know a lot of people who love Jesus a lot who are bored with their life because they're not walking by faith. And many folks who are bored with their faith because they're not walking by faith. They know Jesus, but they don't walk by faith. And the very simple solution is you need to begin to walk by faith. But we are taught, we are raised, don't try things unless you know how things are going to end. Don't launch out on any kind of endeavor unless you have all the resources in hand and you know how everything's going to happen step by step along the way. Jesus, God, never seems to call us to such things. And you know why? There's not much glory for God in what we can do for ourselves, is there? I mean, of course, we could say, yes, there is. Of course, I have these two hands because God gave them to me and I have a job because God gave them to me. That's true. And he does get glory from that. Don't get me wrong. But how much more of the glory does he receive when we step out by faith to a calling God has given us to something that we cannot do in ourselves and seemingly could never do in ourselves? And that's the kind of life God intends for us to live. And it can be a life each of us have if we're willing to have faith, turn from our sin, and take the next step with God. This morning, wherever you are and whatever your situation is this morning, I want to encourage you, do not stay where you are. Take the next step with God. There's three things that I want to challenge you to this morning. I'm going to have Evan put them up here this morning. Number one is pray and repent of all sin and place your faith in God. Pray and repent of all sin and place your faith in God. And when I begin with repentance, I do so because I believe that there are so many of us that have not been walking by faith that we need to repent of a life of faithlessness and prayerlessness and neglecting the relationship with God that we've been privileged to have. Number two, pray to God and ask Him to help us believe and have greater faith in Him. We need to do what the man did in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief so that I can truly walk by faith in you. And number three, pray to see where God is at work around you and then join with Him in what He's doing. And let me tell you something. If you're going to do that, it's going to require, there's going to be a crisis of faith. Abraham was called to go into the land of Canaan. Go to the land of promise that I will show you. Abraham was told that he was going to be the father of a great nation. He did not have a son at that time. Or a daughter at that time. No children. He was old. Past childbearing years for both a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarah. And he was called to get up and go as an old man and leave everything he knew to go into Canaan. And he had every excuse in the world at the ready, I'm sure, as to why he could not participate, why he could not do, why this could never happen. But what he had was a word from God and an invitation to have faith in God and follow Him. And so Abraham chose to get up Act on the word God had given him. Have faith and follow him. We need to know where God's at work. We need to know the faith-filled kind of life that God has called us to. What we need to do is to do what Duncan Campbell did. Lord, I don't see you working in my life like you worked in the New Testament. 
I don't see you working in my life the way you have done in the past, the stories that I've read about you. So, Lord, I am sorry for my sin, and I am asking you, Lord, to make me aware of where you're at work, and I will go preach wherever you are at work. I will go where you send me, not where anyone else or anything else. He was about to speak at the Keswick Convention. Go look that up on the Internet. That is known as the most spirit-filled convention and organization in all of Europe. Great men and women of God have come through the Keswick Convention. To speak at the Keswick Convention is a tremendous honor for any believer in Christ. And he was about to speak, and he felt the Holy Spirit of God come upon him and say, this is not where I'm working today in you. Doesn't mean God wasn't working there. But he said, this is not where I have you to be, Duncan. I have you to go somewhere else. Get up and go. And when we have that word, we get up and go. And we follow him. So this morning, will, will you admit to God your sins? Will you be in agreement with him about your sin and say, I'm sorry for my sin. I ask your forgiveness and I turn away from it. And will you go to God and say, God, I want to live a life of faith, belief and trust in you. Lord, I want to pursue you and I want to be a part of the things that you're doing in my world so that I can have the life you intend me to have that in eternity we might talk about this forever. If that's the life you want this morning, I invite you to come. Bow your knee before God. If that's the kind of life you want for our church, I invite you to come. Pray, bow your knee before God. If you want Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I invite you to come, talk with me. I can help you to know how to do that, how to enter into a relationship with God. But God wants all of us, not parts of us. He wants the whole of us, not just a few minutes on Sunday. He wants us to live a life of faith, not moments of faith. He wants us to live by faith, not hope in what He can do, but faith in what He can do. And if that's what you want for your life, and I beg of you to help, help, help it. God, do that. Does that sound like a funny thing to say? Because God's not going to force it on you. God is ready. He is there. He is inviting. He is empowering. He is pleading. His spirit is convicting. But you've got to get up. You've got to get up and come. Let's stand together.